good to be in the house of God today. My name is Eric, and we are just so grateful for everyone that is here today. We want to welcome all of you that are in the room right now, uh, but also all of those that are watching us uh, and listening to us later on in the week. We're grateful for you as well. For those of you that are online, a few of these items may not apply to you directly. However, many of the things that I'll mention uh, can happen through our website. And we'd love for you to share information with us. Uh, there's two main reasons why we love that. Number one, we love to serve people. And if we can serve you in any way, we'd, we'd be grateful uh, to have that opportunity. But number two, we do not want you to miss out on some of the really exciting things that are about to happen uh, in the coming weeks and months. And so uh, if you're a guest with us today, a very special welcome to you. Uh, we'd love for you to share your information again so that uh, we can follow up with you, get your feedback on on how we're doing as a church, any ways that we could improve or any ways that we can serve you. Uh, and there are two ways to share your uh, info with us. Uh, if you're updating your info or if you're uh, new to Centerway, Number one is an info card. You can find those in the back of the room. Um, also, you can give us your information electronically on the Uversion app. The instructions for how to utilize the app are up on the screen here. Uh, Uversion is also an incredible way during the gathering uh, to follow along, to take notes, and even to give uh, online. Now, Speaking of giving, you can also give through our website, centerwaychurch.com, uh, or via the offering box that is in the back of the room if you would like to give that way. Now, there are other ways to connect with Centerway throughout the week and to engage with us. Uh, you can find wallpapers uh, to go on your devices, social media. You can follow us there. Uh, the Spotify playlist, Monday, Wednesday, Friday devotionals that come directly to your mailbox if you sign up for those. Uh, you can visit the messages page of the website to access all of these resources. Now, if you have questions, if you have feedback, ideas, or you need prayer, you can email us at any time. You can email us at connect at centerwaychurch.com. That's connect at centerwaychurch.com. We love to hear from you that way as well. You can also and always take next steps if you're looking for ways to grow, uh, ways to serve, become spiritually coached, get water baptized, uh, or become a Centerway steward. And there are two brief things to note about today's uh, events. Many of our students went on the student uh, fall retreat this weekend. I heard it was a great time. I heard a woo in there, which is always a good thing. <laughs> uh, and so there are no student circles after our gathering today, just because they had a, such a great weekend. Uh, we are, and we are again offering complimentary photo mini sessions uh, for you uh, and for our community. If you'd like to have a free session with our incredible photographers, visit our website or feel free to share with families and friends about this opportunity for them. Uh, we very much view this as a way to serve our community, and some more information can be found uh, on our website for that as well. Now, here's what to expect for our gathering today. In just a moment, Spencer will be reading scripture for us, Claude will be communicating from the Bible, and then we'll respond to the word through singing. Can we bow our heads and hearts and just believe God for an incredible time today? Lord, we thank you so much, God. We thank you for this time this afternoon. We thank you for Willowbrook opening their doors, Lord God. We thank you that your sweet spirit leads, guides, and directs us. And today, Lord, we've come to you with open hands and an open heart, Lord God, uh, desiring to hear from you. 
to see you move in incredible ways, Lord God. And But we've all come into this place with unique needs and unique circumstances, God. So would you meet each and every one of us in a real and profound way, but in a personal way, Lord God. Do what only you can do in our hearts and our lives, and we'll give you praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Hi, my name is Spencer, and I'll be reading the scripture for today. Mark chapter 15, verses 1 through 15. You can follow along in the YouVersion Bible app on the screen behind me or in one of the scripture journals located in the back of the room. Again, Mark 15, 1 through 15. It says, And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate again asked him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for for them Barabbas. And having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. We're uh, continuing our series within walking distance, and uh, today's message in particular is entitled Mission, Within Walking Distance Mission. Um, One of the joys of my life is going to my kids' sporting events. I have three kids, and they play different sports, and I just love being able to to go there, and um, you know, every once in a while, uh, my wife will get yelled at by a ref to be quiet. Um, it, it's still up in question as to whether or not it was her last time or not. But in either case, uh, I bring that up because we went to uh, my middle child, uh, had a soccer game. She plays for um, Victor. And we went to her last game of the season. And there was uh, a ref that was um, doing the best he could, if you know what I mean, which is less than good. And uh, if you're watching, you know, so... Um, uh, the dude knew it. I felt like he just put his head down and walked off the field when he was done. But in either case, th- th- it wasn't going well. And uh, most of the problem was that he wasn't willing to run along with <laughs> the ball when it would move. And so he was trying to make calls from a pretty good distance. And so there was one moment in particular where uh, a girl was tripped from behind and fell to the ground. And as he's running from beyond midfield, he yells to her, were you in the box? And of course, one of the people off the field are like, are you kidding me? You're asking her if she was in the box? Now, if you don't know anything about soccer, 
If she was tripped inside the box, then it's a penalty kick. If she was outside of the box, then it would be a direct kick. So it's a big deal here. And he is asking the girl that got tripped if she was in the box. And the people on the sidelines are furious. They were amazingly silent when he was making poor calls on our end, but now there's something in jeopardy for them. And so they say, I can't believe you're asking her. And so she was honest and she said, yeah, I was in the box. And so he tells them to quiet down and he said, okay, then it's a penalty kick. And they just erupt. This one guy in particular is just screaming and yelling and he's telling him to calm down and he keeps yelling and he's saying some specific things. And, uh, and so the ref finally looks at him and says, be quiet or you're off the field. I'm kicking you right out of here. And so he looks at him, and he gets quiet, and play continues. It was a significant injustice from his perspective on a couple of levels. But the reason I tell you the story is this. I want to ask you this question. Why do we insist on voicing our opinion? Why do we insist on voicing our opinion? Now, what's interesting is we've spent a lot of time in Mark, and as we continue in this series, like, This series was uh, crafted together with the preaching and teaching team as far as content that we'd be covering over a year ago, and it's amazing how relevant it is to today. There's so many people in our world currently that are just wanting so badly to voice their opinion about just about everything. And honestly, as much as it can be exacerbated in this season, the reality is that's the way that humankind has always been. There's always been an opinion and people have always insisted on voicing it. Now, I realize that there are all different types of people here and different people that that watch later on or online. And some of you might be thinking to yourselves, I don't voice my opinion. In fact, maybe I should voice my opinion more often. So allow me to clarify. I'm not talking about or to only people that insist on voicing their opinion. I'm speaking more broadly to to the idea that all of us on some level insist on voicing our opinion. Bear with me. There is a moment in which every one of us, all of us, as humans, can no longer remain silent. No matter your wiring, regardless of your personality, your preferences, it doesn't matter. There comes a moment where we insist on voicing our opinion. Why? What would have to happen? What would have to happen to cause all of us to do that? Like I said, I've already realized that some of us are naturally wired to readily share our opinion at the drop of a hat. But I want to submit to you that we all insist on voicing our opinion when we or someone we love is being treated unjustly, right? I could, if you have a child, I could use the illustration of a child being treated poorly and all of a sudden someone that typically remains silent suddenly has a voice and goes and and kind of argues on behalf of their child. The list could go on. Now, notice what I said, though. I didn't say that we all suddenly have an opinion and a voice when a stranger is treated unjustly. Unfortunately, that's not the reality of the world we live in. All of us, though, regardless of how we're wired, will voice our opinion when someone we love or ourselves are being treated unjustly. Now, there's obvious other reasons that some voice their opinions. (laughs) Some of us just want to be heard, it seems like. Others need a sense of self-worth or some form of validation in order to to exist, and so they speak out their opinion. Sometimes there's a need for control. Maybe they speak up because they have something to gain. There's a lot of different reasons why people speak up. But people that are silent with an opinion, and to those that are quick to speak, you see there's a gamut. There's always extremes, right? 
In all of our society, in all of humanity, there's always extremes. People that will remain silent as long as they possibly can and people that are willing to speak at the drop of a hat. And I'm not disparaging anyone. I'm simply saying, no matter the extreme, wherever you find yourself, all of us, from silent to very vocal, the fact is we insist on voicing our opinion when we or someone we love is being treated unjustly. So what does that actually mean in its essence? At its core, what does that actually mean? It means that all of us speak up when there's something to lose or something to gain. There's a motive. There's a motive. And if we're honest, our motives range everywhere from justice to selfishness (laughs) and everywhere in between. But the fact is there still is a motive of some form. Now, I'm not saying that voicing our opinion is wrong. And I'm not even saying that it's bad. I'm simply trying to get us to understand why we do it, why we all do it as humans. In those moments that we voice our opinion, we do so because we want our way. For ourselves or those that we love, we want the outcome to fall in our favor or their favor. We think our, our way is better, and so we speak up in that moment. There's an old adage attributed to uh, Abraham Lincoln. It goes like this. It's better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak and remove all doubt. (laughs) Now, that's funny for those of us that kind of speak too much. But is silence really the answer? Is it really that we have to swing this pendulum to where we say, okay, all right, I I won't voice my opinion. I'm just going to remain silent to the best of my ability. I'm going to bite my tongue until it bleeds. You know, this, this man on the sideline, he, he spoke up kind of selfishly for injustice because man, when the calls were going poorly the other way, he was completely silent. But in this moment that his team was going to cost something, there was going to be something to lose on his end, then all of a sudden he became extremely vocal because of this injustice being done. But then interestingly enough, when threatened to be thrown off the field, selfishly, he becomes silent. You see, it's interesting how motive can direct us to speak and it can also direct us to be silent. The answer we're going to find today in today's text is actually motive. That's the balance. It's our motive. But not the way you might think. And the reason why I say not the way you might think is because if we say motive, it becomes real easy to then be like, listen, oh, My motive is so pure. Like, I have such a great motive here, so I'm so glad that I can share my opinion. But let's look at the text and see what it is that Jesus is experiencing and what it is that we can learn in the context of of motive and voicing our opinion. Jesus is being taken to Pilate. Now, if you don't know who Pilate is, Pilate is the Roman procreator, procurator, which, uh, which actually means he's the imperial magistrate or the governor of Judea. So he's the guy in charge placed there by Rome. And we see in verse two this. It says, and Pilate asked him, meaning Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And he, Jesus, answered him, you have said so. You have said so. Now you might look at that and say, okay, that must mean something different in the original text. Um, but it doesn't. It means exactly what he says. Pilate, is, is, his question is not a theological question. It's not a theological one. If you were with us last week, uh, you realize that uh, Jesus was brought to the Sanhedrin, the council, and they ask him, are you the Messiah? Are you the son of man? Are you the king? And Jesus says, yes. He answers it. Theologically, he answers the question definitively, yes, I am. But Pilate isn't asking that because he doesn't care quite frankly. He doesn't care about anything theological. He's asking politically. 
He's saying, are you a leader where if something negative happens to you, there will be a cultural ramification? He's very selfishly just trying to figure out the lay of the land. You see, Pilate was a manipulator and he did a lot of things to benefit himself and played the Jews against Rome and Rome against the Jews. And so he's trying to figure out here, are you really a person of influence? And Jesus' answer is amazingly and intentionally ambiguous. He says, you have said so. It's not yes and it's not no. So Jesus is saying, essentially, I am a king but not like what you mean. Not what you mean. In fact, John 18, verse 36 records Jesus saying, my kingdom is not of this world. And so Jesus is very clear in this interaction with Pilate, like, I am a person of authority, but not the way you think of or consider authority. And so verse, verses three through four, if we continue on the journey, it says, and the chief priests accused him, Jesus, of many things. And we read on to verse four, and Pilate again asked him, have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you? Like, speak up. Are you serious, man? You're just going to be silent right now? Right in the face of, of injustice? If you really appear, if you really are as innocent as you appear to be, speak up. Defend yourself. Why are you silent? Jesus has everything to lose. So Jesus was silent, the face of everything to lose. And what happens? Verse 5 says this, but Jesus made no further answer so that Pilate was amazed. Pilate was amazed. I wondered kind of what this type of amazement meant. Like, was he amazed like, whoa, this is incredible. Or was he amazed like, wow, you're sitting there silent. What an idiot Jesus is. Like, is he thinking like, I'm amazed how, how silent and dumb you are. Why aren't you defending yourself? But that's not what happens. If you look at the original text, if you look at the Greek, it means that Pilate was actually impressed. He was amazed positively. He was impressed that he was silent. In the face of his accusers, he remained silent. Why is that impressive? It's impressive because when he's faced with his own injustice, it is not natural to be silent. He's amazed because we as humans insist on speaking up. When we have something to lose, when we have something to gain, we speak up. It's what we do. And he's the governor of Judea. He has seen trial after trial, person after person, and he's watched people defend themselves when they're guilty. He's watched people defend themselves when they're innocent. And here he is amazed and impressed that Jesus is silent. It's contrary to everything he's experienced. So motive. What do I mean? If I say it's not what you think, what do I mean by motive? I mean this. I mean, the obvious average selfish person will be silent for self-protection, right? When confronted with some type of issue, when about to be kicked off of a field and maybe a spouse threatening them, like, shut your mouth, they will be silent. They'll be silent for self-protection. But for some non-Christ followers, and I know that we have some that, that join us not only in the room but as well as online, the motive, and a good motive, should be justice over selfishness, right? That is a, a human moral response, that we would stand up for those less empowered than us. That would be a noble thing to say, listen, I'm going to stand up for the person that's being treated unjustly here. It's noble, and it's humanly right. Good people 
that are even far from God can stand right here and say, yeah, that's what I do. I'm a voice for the people without a voice. But what this text shows us and what it is that I think is the crux of what we need to talk about as we move through the text is that for Christ followers, the motive must be gospel mission. The motive for speaking up must be gospel mission. Listen, sometimes those two do coincide, for sure. I'm not arguing that. Sometimes the, the people that are being treated unjustly fall in line with the, the mission of the truth of the gospel. And so in those moments, we of course need to speak up. But the difference still remains. Our motive differentiates. What is our motive in those moments? Will we as Christ followers function according to the worries of this world or will we realize that we aren't of this world? Jesus makes this clear when he prays a prayer concerning his followers at that time, his disciples, and also those in the future, which means he's praying if, if you consider yourself a Christ follower, he was praying for you and the gospel of John records it in John chapter 17, verses 14 through 18 say this, Jesus is praying. And so Jesus says, I have given them, I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. That's what Jesus is praying. Jesus is praying that Christians be sent, that we live on mission, that we're equipped with the word of God. And Jesus is praying that the Lord would empower us, that those that profess to be Christ followers would function according to the mission, that we would stay on mission, even in the midst of being hated by the world. And then Jesus models it. He models it by having the gospel mission inform when he speaks and when he's silent. Not based on protection, not based on justice because his life was on the line, he was going to die, and it was the greatest in injustice of history, an innocent man dying a death he didn't deserve. Neither one of those things motivate him. He is motivated and directed by gospel mission. Gospel mission informs when he speaks and when he's silent. Does the gospel mission inform when you speak or when you're silent? Does it inform when you post on, the, on your social media accounts or when you don't? Don't worry, I'm not checking. I'm asking you to challenge and consider yourself. Get this, the gospel mission you are on is not somewhere in the distant future. It's within walking distance. God is calling you to walk according to the truth of the gospel today, now. We as Centerway and as individuals that are connected to Centerway, we help the poor, we give to disaster relief. We feed hungry children. The list goes on, but not because those things are good and noble, although they are. No, we do those things for the reason that Jesus did those things, so that those people may know the truth of the gospel. At the end of the day, to simply feed them and to clothe them and to help them, it doesn't offer them any eternal good. It helps them only in the temporal. Are we motivated by the truth of the gospel? So how do we change our motives, <laughs> right? And wouldn't that be so easy? We're like, listen, I have really bad motives. This is a great point. So I'm just gonna, I'm gonna have better motives from now on. <laughs> it would be so great if we could do that. 
But the fact is we can't. How do we remain in the world and not of it? How are we more than just philanthropic, right? We know people that are really far from God, that give hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars to people that need clothes and food and all of these good things, but they're really far from God. So what does it look like for us to to live on mission? I mean, otherwise, we're just humans trying to do what is good and right. And that's not uniquely Christian, is it? Verse 11 says this, but the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. He stirred up the crowd. The chief priest stirred up the crowd to have them release Barabbas instead. How in the world did they do that? Like, if you have been with us for any amount of the journey, and if not, you can go back and check it out or you can look in the journals that are free in the back of the room. You can look at the beginning part of Mark and you can see moment after moment where Jesus is is basically bombarded with people that are saying, heal me, help me, my, my family member is blind, my family member has died, God, would you come and help me? Jesus, would you come and help me? They didn't realize he was God. But we have all of these moments where Jesus is being bombarded by people. How in the world, how in the world, in, in, in less than moments, do these people stir up the crowd to say, set Barabbas free? How did they convince a crowd that had seen what Jesus had done go along with their opinion? The answer is actually in verse seven. Verse seven says this, and among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. Now, it might be pretty easy to kind of go over that, but there's some key things that are mentioned in that verse. Among the rebels in prison and the insurrection. Let's first talk about a rebel. What it means is Barabbas was a rebel, which meant he was a zealot. A zealot had the mantra that there is no king but God. No king but God. So Barabbas was a dude doing God's work. He was a good guy. He's a God guy. He was a zealot. He was super amped up on, on saving Jewish people from big, bad Rome. And the other thing that we need to realize is that he committed murder in what? In the insurrection. What in the world was the insurrection? The insurrection was an attempt by Jews in the name of God to overthrow Rome by force. They had had enough of the political oppression of Rome. And in the name of God said, you know what? We're gonna take Rome back for the Jews. And in that day, Barabbas murdered a Roman. So commentators indicate that it's very likely that the way in which the chief priest began to influence this crowd is to say something to this end. Hey, listen, Jesus is a good dude, but he's so quiet. Like, he's not overtaking Rome. Like, he almost seems like maybe he's okay with what Rome's doing. But Barabbas, this dude gets stuff done. Like, he killed somebody. He's the guy that's really going to help us overthrow the Romans. He is a man of action. I don't like this Jesus guy. We need Barabbas to ensure our spiritual freedom. What? What in the world? They were so consumed 
by this world, by the worries and cares of the world that was happening in front of them, that they missed the gospel mission entirely. It was as if they had their fingers in their ears while Jesus was proclaiming the truth of the gospel and all that they were seeing is what it is that they really wanted, what it was in it for them, what they had to gain or what they had to lose. And so, verses 13 through 14 go on and say this. They cried out again, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. Listen. Jesus becomes Barabbas' substitute. Jesus was innocent, declared guilty, and dies the death that Barabbas deserved. And Barabbas, who was guilty, is declared innocent. Jesus died in his place. Don't miss this this morning because Jesus died in our place. We, we are the Barabbas. We are the person that, that's doing what it is that we think is right in the moment. No one is innocent in the death of Jesus. I think we like to, to point at people and even Pilate attempts to wash his hands as if he has nothing to do with it. But the reality is no one is innocent. We our sin put Jesus on the cross. And if we truly understand our wickedness and our guilt, then Jesus' substitutionary death transforms not only our heart, but our motives. We're literally renewed and transformed by the truth of the gospel as we speak it to our heart and to our mind in those moments where our flesh rises up and we say, no, I really, no, you don't understand. I have really good motives here. And yet, we're inherently human. How in the world do those motives align with the truth of the gospel? How does it inform what it is that we're doing? And it's so easy to say, oh my goodness, really? Like, the gospel has to inform everything? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, we're just... We're just living day in and day out on a hamster wheel, just trying to feed ourselves, go to sleep, wake up, earn some more food to eat it, poop, sleep, wake up, run on the ramp again, poop, sleep, wake up. Some of us are finding the emptiness of life in the hamster wheel, just going through the motions and saying, aren't we created for something greater than this? Yeah, yeah, we are. God is calling us to live on mission, something greater than ourselves, to take God risks for the furtherance of the kingdom. Because we can, we can all earn a lot of money and have a whole mess of stuff and realize that it doesn't really bring us the joy that we were setting out for. And I've said it before, I'll say it again. If, if you don't find the joy in the, in the stuff that you have, it just means that you still haven't gathered enough, right? <laughs> of course not. Talk to somebody with more. They just want more. Why? Because they need newer, because they need nicer. The pile has to get bigger. I don't know why. It's because in humanity, we have a God-shaped hole in our life that we try to fill with everything around us. We shouldn't be caught up in the worries of this world and the cares of this world. We should be in it, but not of it. So in those moments, being transformed by the truth of the gospel transforms our hearts and our minds to where we repent of where we've been distracted and off mission. Because what God is calling us to is eternal. And it's in our spheres of influence. Our mission is within walking distance. 
Sometimes we think of mission as far, but it's close. It's in the hallways of our school. It's in the work cubicles of our job. It's in our homes. That's our mission field. Centerway exists to cultivate a movement in which people become gospel-centered influencers in every sphere of life. Your gospel mission is within your sphere of influence. It's the people that you see that are expressing heartache and brokenness. And it's not about opinion or the condition of the world. It's about what it is that Jesus Christ has done and how he set you free and how you've been strategically placed to speak the truth, to hope, and love, so that others can be set free from the worries and cares of this world. We say every week that the text requires something of us. And of course, this week is no different. I want us to leave this place considering this question and even as we go into a time of worship, allow it to echo in our hearts and minds. What will I do to express repentance to the Lord? What will I do to express repentance to the Lord? If we have been about our own motives and our own thoughts, which we all are, then what does it look like to realign our heart and mind to the mission of the truth of the gospel and to lay down the worries and cares of our world and say, I I repent, Lord. I wanna live on mission for you. I wanna live according to what it is that you're calling me to do and be about. Let's take a moment and just bow our heads as the worship team makes their way up. You can close your eyes if you like or you can keep them open and just look down. I just don't want you to be distracted. As they make their way up, I want you to contemplate a couple of things. The first thing I want you to, to contemplate is Maybe how it is that you have to express repentance to the Lord because you're not in relationship with the Lord. Maybe today your response and your application has to be to surrender your one and only life to Jesus who died the death that you deserve. And so to you, it's, it's not anything that, that requires a, a rote phrase or something that's repeated specifically. It's simply coming to a place in the quietness of your mind, wherever you find yourself, to say, Lord, I'm a sinner but you died the death that I deserve. Would you forgive me my sins? Come be the Lord and leader of my life. It can be that easy. In fact, if, if you pray that prayer now, today, or later on, we want to talk to you about the decision you made so that it's not just an emotional or an immediate response, but that it can be a decision that we walk alongside you. And so if that's you today, in the midst of any distraction or random banging of the keyboard, <laughs> you could just pray a prayer and ask Jesus to be the Lord and leader of your life. And we'd love to walk alongside you, talk to you about the decision you made, whether it's here today or later on, you can reach out through, your, uh, through the website or via email. For others of us in the room, and obviously there's uh, something happening musically, so if you would just keep your head bowed and remain focused, there's always distractions, although this one's a fun one in particular. <laughs> there we go. I knew, I was so confident. With our heads bowed, I want us to consider how is it that I need to express repentance to the Lord? Is it refocusing my heart on mission instead of the worries of this world, instead of trying to accumulate as much as I can before I die or try to secure the popularity that ever eludes me in the circles that I'm in in my school? To live for the the grades and the college and all the things that consume our heart and mind 
in the midst of all the worries, all the cares, have we lost focus of the true mission of the truth of the gospel? We cared more about the temporal than we have the eternal. Are you gonna express repentance to the Lord for that? For others of you today, maybe you would be quick to say, oh, this is such a good reminder, Claude. I mean, I'm sure somebody here needed to hear this today. It's funny how we can do that, imply that in some way we outpace the truth of the gospel, that we've learned enough to where there's no application. To those of you that want to say that, I want to encourage you to consider that there's still humanity in you and that maybe it looks like expressing repentance to the Lord because of the invite opportunities that we've had that we haven't taken. The spiritual conversations that were in the moment, we felt the leading of the spirit and instead we changed the subject or walked out of the room. The moment that we realized we could meet a need and we instead thought about maybe what we wanted to buy later on that day. You see, we're all at a place of being transformed by the truth of the gospel. And so let's express repentance to the Lord. Let's worship him for who he is, for what he's done in spirit and in truth. I'm gonna lead us in prayer and then let's respond together. Heavenly Father, we come before you today acknowledging the selfishness of our heart, the desires to declare our opinion or what we believe to be right and oftentimes missing the gospel truth that should be informing every decision that we make, the conversations that we have. So Lord, collectively we repent before you. We ask that our worship would be a sweet sound to your ear, that our declaration of repentance and and love for you is heard, that you would inhabit the praises of your people. We worship you today. Let's worship the Lord together. Just stand your feet. Stand your feet.
into repentance. It's his kindness that calls us to him. You are so good.
to be said of us that we just want you. Just you and only you, Jesus. Oh, mm-hmm.
we run to you not with our agendas, not with our thoughts of how things should play out, with our concerns, Lord, our worries, our hurts, our heartaches, Lord, we bring those to you. We lay them at your feet. God, we ask that you would renew our hearts and our minds. You'd help us focus on who you are and what you've done and how that transforms our everything. Lord, we're so grateful. So grateful for who you are, for who you continue to be in and through our lives, regardless of our shortcomings, of our brokenness, of our humanity. We pray, Father, that you would see our contrite heart today that you'd be present with us, that you'd lead us, that you'd guide us, that you would direct us, that we would focus on who you are and what you say about us, what you say about the mission we're called to do with our one and only life. Lord, we lay it before you. We ask your will to be done. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you want to remain in this place and worship the, the team will continue to sing. If you want prayer for anything, we're definitely available. If you have questions about next steps, Eric is out there at the next steps area. He can answer any questions you might have about discipleship or whatever questions you might have. Uh, otherwise, we will see you next week right here. We get to meet weekly now, which is amazing still. We'll see you next week. God bless you as you go.